And if you bring a mask at work of what you think people would like, I truly believe you you'll be depressed at the end because it's such hard work. To, it's harder actually to bring <laughs> your mask at work every day than it is to be your true self. You know, at the end, you don't know who you are. Can you look yourself in, in the mirror? So I've heard so many people say, oh, you know, he's not like that at home. <laughs> Comments like, he's not like that or she's not like that at home. So what are you? That would be my next question. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Level Up Your Leadership, the podcast where exceptional leaders give us their insider insights on the best tools, tips, and tricks that will get you to the next level of leadership. I'm your host, Lisa Kristen, and I've had a special opportunity to speak with the one and only Asia Morris. I invited Asia onto the show because she is the master of authenticity. Her Level Up Your Leadership advice is to be bold, be strong, and never forget who you are. Really, I have to say she's the only successful banker I know who openly talks about spirituality and kindness and is still taken seriously at work. And to me, that's amazing. It feels like we live in this Instagram world where everyone is so desperate to make it look like life is so easy and perfect and beautiful and that we're all brilliantly successful. But behind the scenes is this pressure to look like something or someone that you're not. So I asked Asia Morris for some authenticity lessons. (laughs) I personally am going to share with you guys that I'm going through a moment where I'm struggling with being really authentic, not because I'm fake and not because I'm trying to impress people so much, but rather more because I'm stubborn and I know who I want to be and who I wish I was and what I need to do to be that person is to work harder. Uh, You know, and it's a little bit fuzzy when admitting the reality of who I actually am and what I actually have the skills and capabilities to do and what it is that I actually want. So this is my little confessional here for you guys. I don't know everything. I'm not on top of everything all the time and I'm not perfect. Shocking, I know, but it feels good to let that secret out. It actually feels rather freeing. (laughs) And I also want to let you know about Asia. I'm sure many of you are curious about her professional background. She actually asked me not to include any of the really extremely impressive details of her career uh, because she told me it doesn't matter what I do, but what I am. And I love that. And I'll give you guys a little sneak peek background. I'll leave it at this. She has spent over 20 years in the banking industry and she manages clients who have triple digit billions in assets. Yes, billions. So I hope you learn as much as I did in my authenticity lessons from Asia and uh, enjoy. I'm here today with Asia Morris. Welcome to one of my very first episodes of Level Up Your Leadership. Thank you for having me, Lisa. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. And we met back in our coaching training program. So this was a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And I remember I walked into the room. I was basically the new girl. So everyone. And late. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me. Yeah. And I, and everybody had already known each other a bit. Sure. And so I walked in and I looked for a friendly face. And I saw yours. (laughs) And so I sat next to you and you were, of course, very nice. And we started working on a project together. I I think it was about our life 
purpose statement, our life vision statement. And I remember specifically, you were working on your project and you were talking about a a guardian angel Mm -hmm. and you were so sweet and so spiritual. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, you know, she's going to make a great life coach. Oh, I'm all chuffed now. <laughs> I'm blushing. You can't see that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as part of that sort of categorization of you as a life coach, I remember really sort of chuckling to myself when I actually figured out that your day job is quite corporate and banking. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that's a, that's a fun juxtaposition to think about someone who's quite spiritual And, you know, the stereotype of what a successful banker looks like. And I love that juxtaposition because what it actually means, it's it's really two sides of the same coin for you because it's just Asya. It's just who you are. Yeah. And who says that bankers are not spiritual? (laughs) Well, exactly. And that's the stereotype that you get to break and that you have found a way to be successful in being you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think I can't help it. I have to be me. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's really like, that's what I want to know today. Cause I think that's a leadership style that not everyone has, that not everyone's able to do is bringing them whole self to work. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know from you. I don't know if we can just jump right in. How do you do it? I think I can't help it. I'm someone who's very authentic and I was brought up as an authentic person. So even though I work in the corporate world where you have to follow certain, let's say, rules and you have to be a certain way, I cannot live with myself not being myself. So I bring it, I bring it on at work as well. Doesn't matter. You know, you have to deal with it, but I love it. I think I'm not someone who has, you know, unlike some of my colleagues, a mask. What I am at work, I am at, at home as well. So that brings peace, I think. I mean, for me, it does, actually. Yeah, I believe that. Mm-hmm. And you said part of that comes from how you were brought up Yes, who you are. Yes. How were you brought up? You have an interesting background story. Yes, for some. <laughs> so my father's Algerian. He's Berber, so that itself sells a lot. And my mother's British. So I was born in Algeria, and I was raised by two very, very special parents. Both of them were very intellectual. Both of them were made sure there was no difference between my brother and myself. Even though we lived in a Muslim country, it could have been um, something else, but it wasn't. I was very free as a child, very free. And also, I come from a family where we are very authentic. We speak up, we say what we think, and we just live by our values. When has it gotten you in trouble to speak up and say what you think? Always. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Clearly not in Algeria, clearly not in North Africa, probably in countries where things are not spoken of. You know, uh, I lived in different countries and some countries it's not accepted that you just say what you think. It got me into trouble, yes, a few times, but it's me and I'm not going to change that. I can tone it down, certainly, but I would still say what I think. And how do you elicit this authenticity from coworkers, colleagues, bosses, and most importantly, employees? It's interesting. Where I work at the moment, we have been working, we're a team, and we have been working together for about 10 years. So I think they got used to my style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what is interesting as well is that I've sometimes, or most of the time, whenever there is a battle to have, 
I'm at the front because they know that I will push it. I will say the truth. So they're quite happy to use me, use me as a harsh word, but you know, use my skills. Let's put it that way. But my coworker are completely at ease with my style. They got used to it. Um, I would love to have the same from them. It doesn't happen. Everyone has his own style, but, but yeah, we get on great. Now, as for managers, uh, quite interesting. I have a manager who for the last few years have been telling me that I am too direct. So he put it on my review every year and it will say, I say, you're a bit too direct. And then one day I just had enough of it. And I said, can we just take this off? Because it's cultural. It's how I am. And I'm not going to change. So no matter how many times you're going to put it on my review, it's not going to change. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I mean, that's, that's definitely being bold and being yourself and really being confident in who you are. Yeah. I mean, I knew he could try everything. It's not going to change. So he took it off. That's the good news. <laughs> I never had it again. So there, there's, a, there's a tip right there. If you stand up for who you are, oftentimes it works to your advantage. It can work or it can backfire. <laughs> Let, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, this goal kept repeating. I mean, he kept putting it in my reviews every year and I thought I need to do something about it. He could have said, well, it's not the style I like or, you know, you have to do something about it. But he is intelligent enough to accept that. And uh, as I said, it can be an asset and he he's himself used it <laughs> for some battles that he needed to have. How about when you're working with clients? How do yeah. they like your full you showing up to work so I've been in the corporate world for almost 20 years now, and my clients, are a lot of them are French speakers. And that type of authenticity is something that is accepted, trusted. So what I've learned throughout the years is that, you know, when they ask you to do something and you say, sorry, you know, we can't do it. They trust you. They respect you. And I believe, and I heard that I have a good reputation with clients because I'm honest. What we can do, we can't do so that builds up the relationship very nicely and the client knows that you will never lie to them. If there are things we can't do, we can't. Simple. So there's some trust and credibility built. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. And, you know, we talked a bit about, okay, so you have a background from Algeria. How do you think your experiences growing up have impacted you? You said your parents raised you to be authentic. Is there anything else about your childhood that really made an impact on you that, that affected who you are as an adult? Um, yes, yeah, certainly. First of all, I lived in a Muslim country, so I was a little bit of an exception in terms of freedom and in terms of what I wanted, what I did. I had boyfriends. I went to the beach. You know, I had a very, very sunny childhood. Let's put it that way. Not everyone was the same. So I was fully aware that not all women had the same rights and uh, the same freedom. And the second point, I came from a third world country. So it's a completely different world where you become hungry. And then when you're given an opportunity to go out, meaning go to Europe and study and work, you know what it means coming from a third world country. You always have to demonstrate that you're capable, that you can do even better. It brings it up because a third world country means, you know, you guys are not better than us. So we have to prove the opposite. That's what being in a third world country means for me anyway. And that means you've also grown up with multiple languages as Absolutely, well. yeah. How does having a multicultural background and having access to multiple languages add to your sort of toolkit as a leader? Initially, you don't see it as an asset. 
being a mixed child and for some people who are mixed, they can understand that you don't know where you belong. And I think it's a big, big issue for a while. Then you make peace with it and you realize that actually it makes you what you are, very, very uh, different from others. But at the beginning can be challenging. So languages for me have always been an asset. So my mother tongue is French. I learned English, Arabic, Berber, and now a little bit of German. But in essence, I always used it to get my jobs. Languages have always been the front, the, the skill that I had most. And I've built up my career that way. And as a leader, because we're in Switzerland and we have different uh, type of employees, I speak the employee's language. The English, I will speak English, but I will always use it as a, as a tool and I will encourage them to use it as a tool as well. And what's interesting about what you said earlier about you had certain freedoms in Algeria mm -hmm. uh, being a woman, what's been your experience now? How did that shape your identity as a woman now? Freedom is one of my biggest value and I can't function without it. So it has to be, freedom has to be in my personal life, which thankfully I have. And at work. So I don't function well in a micromanagement environment. I like my independence. I own up to my mistakes if there are any, but I am very much someone who likes to function on its own and take my decisions. It's always been a pattern, let's put it that way, in my life, whether it was personal or whether it was work. And whenever I find myself in a situation where I had a style of management that was micromanagement, never worked. I would actually fight it. And it would create more issues than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you have a bit of a, a spicy attitude. I don't know if that's the right word. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I come from a country which had a war. We were colonized by the French. We were, we also had our own part of history and that made us a bit feisty. Would that be the word? That's the word. Yes. And I'm, I'm not going to apologize for what I am. It's in the blood and it's something that I, I can't. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> and how can others who, you know, I'm listening in awe. I grew up in New York, so I have a bit mm -hmm. of a street edge. I yes, mean, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why we get along so well. <laughs> true. But I think there are still people out there listening going, yeah, that's true. I bring a mask to work or that's true. I am afraid to stand up for who I am or what mm -hmm. I want, mm -hmm. particularly in professional settings. Is there any advice that you could give for how to make them feel at ease with bringing more of themselves to work? Not such an advice, but I think it's it's the style of management that we'll have that will make them more comfortable. So if you have a very strict leader, manager that just wants results and don't want you to bring anything else, he just wants you basically to bring whatever target he puts for you and that's it, then you won't be able. If you have a manager that allows and that shows the true leaders in ourselves that allows you to be yourself. You will feel more comfortable every day and will take off that mask. It takes a lot of courage to just take off that mask and be yourself. We always try to kind of pretend things that we're not. I mean, personally, I can't do it. Uh, it's difficult for me, but I understand sometimes that it's just a way of protecting themselves. And if you're a manager listening now, what are some tips of how a manager can create an environment where employees can feel more comfortable bringing their full self to work? Trust, trust and openness. As a manager, I am someone who's extremely open about my expectations, what I would like them, but then I would not tell them how to do it. 
as much as I love my dear freedom, I also give it to my employees. And some embrace it, some don't, because they don't, they still want some guidance, which is fine. But some who love freedom under me thrives in general. They do. I give them my values in essence. I live by my values and I give them what my values and they take it on or not. It's up to them. I'm wondering, is there any book or particular person that served as a role model or mentor for you that helped you to figure out these values? Because it sounds like your values come out very strongly. And sometimes it's hard for people who aren't, you know, trained coaches yes. to figure out what their values are, how to live them, et cetera. Was, sure. mm-hmm. was there anything that you can say that, you know, this book changed who I am or this manager changed who I am or... It was a manager, actually. You made me think about it, what triggered that about 10 years ago. Um, he came into our office for only two years. He is Turkish, so very direct, very um, open, but also, you know, he can, he can challenge you, that's for sure. And I remember when he came at the beginning, I played the corporate mask, and so he didn't look at me. He didn't even pick up on me. So then I thought, okay, let me be myself and see what happens. And I was. And then we started to to connect. You know, he was very, very interested in what I wanted to do and so on. And then the lesson out of it was that I, sh- I was just myself. I was open. I will come up with things and he will look at me and think, yeah, that works. So I kind of adapted my style to his because he was already that style. But he just demonstrated to me and he's still at the same bank working somewhere else. But he demonstrated that you can be yourself at work. Just bring it on. So from there, I didn't look back, really. (laughs) And you mentioned how you bring your whole self in terms of both professional and personal. And I know that you also have children. Mm -hmm. How does that play a role in the, and I hate to ask this of just moms, because it gets asked of moms, particularly more so than dads. How does the role of being a mother and being your true self at work, how do those two things go together? How do you bring that whole part of you, that motherhood into your work life? Some would say I'm motherly when it comes to to my employees. I look after them. I'm conscious as well. They have a private life, and there might be um, issues. And I'm and they they will say, and I know they have said it that I care about them. I think the caring about your employees and making them free to be what they want, you will get the best results ever. And I have some colleagues who became friends because they left who said, you know, your style of management, I've never seen it afterwards. It's not that uh, you were one of a kind. And I'm I'm humbled by that. But it kind of helped them to grow and to be where they are today. So I'm very, very happy with that and grateful. And I have to say, I'm also in awe of you and how dedicated you are to your work. Mm -hmm. And I I also want to bring up here, you know, life hasn't always been easy for you. You mentioned you you grew up in a third world country that made you hungry Mm -hmm. to look for opportunities to Mm -hmm. prove yourself. And recently, or somewhat recently, you've been diagnosed with a chronic disease. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? So in 2005, so it's actually now 13 years, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which is an immune disease. And that was interesting because when the doctor mentioned that to me, I just simply decided to ignore it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just ignore it. It's not there. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to listen. Funny enough, in that domain, I just refused to face it completely. I just decided to ignore it as long as it was not stopping me from 
reaching for my dreams, I decided just ignore it. Now, it was okay for five years. And then after the birth of my daughter, it came to bite me and to bite me hard. So in a way, it was saying to me, you can't ignore me anymore. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> deal with me. Um, and I did. And I had to deal with it. It's a battle. It's one of the, uh, it's another battle that I have in my life. I will say the word battle because it is. You have to keep up. You have to accept it. You have to also not let it take over your life. And most importantly, you have not to become that illness because once you become that illness, you're done. And what exactly is rheumatoid arthritis? How does it affect you? So rheumatoid arthritis is an immune disease. There are many like MS and so on. Uh, again, it's one of these illnesses where they're not sure uh, why uh, this happened, why it's hitting more women, funny enough. Um, but I believe it's emotions that create or stress um, that can trigger these. I think it's in all of us, but stress or shocks can trigger that. And the consequences are very clear. It's debilitating. All the joints become inflamed. So I'm talking about hands, feet, uh, knees, back, anything you can think of. And it's incurable. So the only thing you can do is really take anti-inflammatory a medicine which have their side effects and carry on that way and hope that you don't end up in a wheelchair, which might happen. Who knows? But there are no definite path, if you like. Everyone has its own path with that illness. And and that makes me wonder, how how is it coming to work? I mean, for everybody, work these days is stressful. Um, it is fast-paced. How is it coming to work and also having to deal with these health concerns? I don't know if it stops you from even being able to sit in a meeting for a long time or sit at your desk or go out and meet with clients. How can you balance having health issues and still meeting the demands of this high-stress, high-paced workplace? To be honest, I'm very happy that I still have a job because it's keeping me sane. Going to work every day makes you sane. Uh, yes, of course, work has its challenges, but in a way you don't have to think about this illness. You don't have to. And I'm not saying my illness because it's not mine. It's the illness. Uh, I don't have to think about it every day. I have families that have it and they stopped working. And I'm grateful every day that I still have a job. Now, how I deal with it, for a long time, I've hidden it. I didn't show that I was in pain. I didn't show that I was unable to stand up for long. I didn't show that traveling was exhausting. But then thanks to coaching, again, when I enrolled into becoming a coach, I decided afterwards that I will not hide this anymore. I've been very open with it to my manager. I've asked for things to be done at work that will help me on my day-to-day -day handles and uh, other items that will um, help me. And they were very nice to do it. So it's there and I acknowledge it, but it's not going to stop me from doing what I want to do. And coaching, it sounds like, really helped open some doors for you. And by coaching, you mean when you went through um, yes, coaching training? like we did and, together. Uh -huh. Yeah. What made you want to go take a coaching certification class? What made you want to be a certified coach? Good question. At the beginning, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very curious person and I was like, and I have coach friends, so I was like curious to know what coaching was about, but it's like a bug. Once you get it, you can't really get it out of your system. So I continued. But also for me, it was a way of giving back. 
it's time to give back. I've been very, very extremely lucky in my life and been able to fulfill some of my dreams. So it's time for me to give back to others and help them achieve their dreams. Because it's so horrible, you know, to be old, not to have done any of the things you wanted to do. And so many of us do that, actually. They do what they're told to do, not what they want to do. It's very sad. So you went out being your bold, audacious <laughs> self and said, I, you know, I want to bring this back. I know it's important to me to be able to give back. And so now you're a coach. And yes. I believe you also mentor yes. some people, mm -hmm. some people, women. Yes. Tell me about that. Who do you mentor and how do you give back? I'm very feminist. So I will take only women. No, actually, um, I would take men. But I find that the mentoring world is very interesting because not many women embrace it for some reason. I still don't get it. I still don't understand why. I think men, they have a clear view of what they want and what they achieve. And if they need the, the a mental help, they will go through it without a problem. However, women, we don't ask for it. If we are asked whether we want a mentor, we'll say, yeah, yeah, sure. But we don't go out and say, I actually want a mentor. I actually want to be that person. We still seem to be so grateful for getting the job. And then when we become a mom, we're very grateful to be working. But it's all about gratefulness. And it's all about, oh, oh you know, as long as I have my balance, I'm, I'm fine. And I'm saying, no, don't be grateful. You earned it. That's my message. You earned it. Bloody hell. You work. <laughs> you work so hard. Women work so hard and they, they're not getting what they should get. To be honest, it was interesting. My husband last week in the company he works for, they did a mentoring speed dating. All right. So in, in essence, the, the company is now, um, pushing people to be mentored. And I asked him, that was the first question. So how many women were there? What, are we talking about 50 50 or, and again, It was only 20% women as mentee, as mentor, 10% women. Why is that? It makes me angry because I think that I love women who can be potentially mentor if asked, and they should also give back to other women and give them the chance once you reach that level. What is it that you think that women could get if they, if they did have a mentor? Because I'm going to take a step back and answer sure. a bit of your question. I know a bit about mentoring programs for women. I'm actually acting vice president of careers and mentoring mm -hmm. for a local women's network here that has a global reach. So I've done a bit of research on mentoring programs for women specifically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the arguments against it is, We don't need a mentor. <laughs> We need a, an opportunity to prove ourselves. We need opportunities to be able to get on the projects, to get the visibility, which is really what's called a sponsor. So we need people in the organizations who are sponsoring women, who are giving them the opportunities and the chances to prove that they can, you know, step up to the plate, whatever um, words we're looking for to get the promotion, that they can prove that they're worthwhile for getting job promotions and for getting increased responsibilities. Interesting. Yes, I wouldn't not disagree with you. But then just take take a situation. If you have a project and you have to decide between a woman and a man, if that woman is part-time, if that woman has children and most likely going to have some more, uh, and you have a man who works 100%, and so what would you decide? Who would you take on? Uh, I'll, uh, I won't answer that. Question. <laughs> no, I, actually, it's funny enough that you pose it that way because particularly in Switzerland, which is where we live, yeah. they are very rational. 
Absolutely. And so I, I, I don't mean to say it's anything gender bias. No. I think if the man worked part time and were part staying at home with the kids, it would be counted against him as well. Which is not happening nowadays. I mean, really. It exactly. doesn't happen often, no. but they're, they're very rational. And so the way that decisions yeah. are made is. We pick the person yeah. who can make the commitment, who is likely to be reliable, um, is likely has met goals in the past, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. So they look for patterns of lowest risk and they see women who have Completely children. Completely agree. But how come a woman is, you know, high risk or low risk because she's having children? And that's, I think, the concept that needs to be changed. The, the, the view that a woman who's having children in my, in my company, um, in Zurich, we are 70% part-timers and all of them are women. So we are being given the opportunity in one way to look after our children, which is fantastic. Um, not many companies allow you to do that. But not only that, when we are at work, we bring on so much. So we're not talking about 70%. We're talking about 120% because the fact that we know we don't have that much time, we're more efficient, more quick, and we get to the point. So that's why I think still, I believe, and I agree with your point, given an opportunity, but how do you create an opportunity for yourself? Mentoring can be a way, but opportunities do not happen every day and it depends on the company and how they view you, etc. And not every company has a woman network organization, which I will encourage any company to have. And that kind of gets you there. It's exposure again. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned about opportunities and being able to spot opportunities, they may be few and far between, both for women and for men. I mean, as obviously in an organization, you get to the top, there are fewer positions. Mm -hmm. So what might help anyone, male or female, stand out and be recognized and be put forward for these opportunities? One thing I heard you say is uh, being a self-starter and, and seeking out the opportunities. Yes. And make it as well uh, very clear. You know, you have most companies have reviews and goals setting. And so make it clear. Make it clear what you want, what you want to achieve, where you want to go. Don't be shy. You know, the sky is the limit for certain people. Just go for it. And just mention that. So a review can be an opportunity that, you know, and exposure. Networking is another piece. I'm currently mentoring and coaching both uh, a young man who is in a department. He's not very happy in it. And I was talking to him about values. So we worked on the values. And then I said, what do you like? And and that person said, oh, I love anything to do with digital. Digital is a big thing nowadays. So with that, we worked towards, okay, which department has does this and and so on we worked on it and he he's been going through some interviews and they really like his you know they really like him and hopefully he will get something but for the first time in his life he said it you know it came out I like this I love this he used to do it as a hobby at home sometimes your hobbies at home can be your next passion in life who knows so he was doing it and then now he's so happy he cannot wait to start a new job in that domain and, you know, I think he would be an asset for the firm. Again, always think about, you know, what could be, you don't want to lose people. You want them to, to be able to do their passion, even when working. And then you get the best result out of a person. That's for sure. And passion and, you know, another word might be strengths. Absolutely. In terms of what are they really good at? I've been reading recently about sort of how useless job titles are. <laughs> 
Because job titles really, they, first of all, if you're a product manager at this company versus this company, it means completely different things. And even within a particular company, different people have different strengths that bring different strengths to the role. And when you ask someone to do 100% of the job description, maybe 50% of it is areas that they're not that great at. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when we can talk about how do we bring full strengths in, how do we know what we're good at, what what our strengths are, um, how do we identify that, and then how do we find a way to bring that to work? Because ultimately what you described is it really ups employee engagement and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Funny you say that because, again, it depends on the leadership you're under and it depends on what style of management you're under. My current manager knows that I am good at certain things. Strategy is one of the things that I am good at. Relationship is something that I'm good at. And there are other things in the role that I completely, entirely hate. So it's fine. It's fine with him. Um, he's really pushing me into that domain and just letting me just grow. And he has no issues with that. He's not someone who's very much, oh, here's the job description. You really need to fulfill every single piece of it. Actually, I love when the job evolves a little bit. And this is actually 2018 for for me is going to happen. My job will evolve and I'll be challenged in many ways, which I love. It's something that I love. Challenges and changes is something I embrace generally very well because I'm someone who likes it. But it's not everyone's cup of tea, this I understand. But also um, for these young people, especially the young ones that are just trying to find themselves, they will take up the first job. And in my bank, sometimes it's their first job. They come out fresh from uni and they really don't know what they want. And it's a marvelous, a beautiful opportunity to work with them to kind of find what kind of makes them happy, makes them passionate. I have to take a step back and I just have to ask. So you said, you know, I have these strengths and I'm really good at strategy. I'm really good at relationships and other stuff, maybe not so good Mm -hmm. at. What are the things that you're maybe not so good at? And how did you get rid of them? How did you get them off your plate? Like actual tactical answers. Who who did you pass them off to? Or how did you get them to disappear? Because I think that's what we all want to (laughs) know. We all want to do that. Um, anything that is to do with administration. Unfortunately, our jobs are becoming very administrative and I just can't stand it. Again, it can, we, we're circling around freedom. We're circling around, you know, letting your intuition go as far as. So how do I get rid of them? I don't. I just let them not being done until the last minute where I have to do them because I have to do them. But I completely entirely hate these because it, they take me away in essence, from what I love. So I kind of take a deep breath and think, okay, today I'm going to do the administrative task. And I sit down and you could see it in my face that I'm not a happy bunny. (laughs) (laughs) And I do it. Unfortunately, it's not going to go away. No matter what we say, we are unfortunately being burdened out with these tasks and it's not going to go away. And I can't outsource it. If if I could, I would. (laughs) Yeah. And and there's a productivity concept called swallowing the frog, which is you show up in the morning, you do the task that you want to do the absolute least, or that's the hardest, so that you don't spend the rest of the day sucking energy, thinking about how you have to do those tasks. I agree. And I'm one, you know, I'm one of these people who do last minute, (laughs) (laughs) like the deadline is today and I will do it. But then I will get a reminder from my manager, very sweet reminder, because he knows that they will say, okay, Asya, it's time to do it. Okay, then I know where to do it. <laughs> so again, it's the style of management. It's the leadership I have in front of me, and I am as well. I'm also someone who would be behind my employees because they have to do some administrative. I'll leave it and 
If it's not done by the deadline, I will say, hey, it's time. Then I will do it. Have you found, so maybe swallowing the frog is not a productivity tip that you use. No. (laughs) But are there other productivity tips that you use that sort of maximize or play up your strengths in business so that you get more successful, more productive? It's not productivity. I wouldn't say it. Be curious. I am someone who is extremely curious. I am curious about everything. And what I do is that even though it's not my domain, I want to know and I want to understand because I just think it enriched me in a way. Our jobs are not, you know, stale. We're not supposed to do the same thing every day and be innovative. You know, being innovative, being creative, being curious is something that will attract attention because what what are the managers or leaders looking today? They're looking at agile people, agile ladies who are able to think forward. And big pictures is also something that is also a skill that people, are managers are looking for when you have kind of visibility of what could happen or will happen. You also will have people who are very detail orientated. That's fine. I mean, that's the beauty of it. We are, we are mixed. So I bet those detail oriented folks would love to do the administrative side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My husband is one of them. (laughs) He has no issues with that. So you touched on a few traits that are really useful in sort of future proofing your career. So you're saying innovation, strategy, being curious, being open. Yeah. Is there anything else that you, any other traits that you think are really helpful in making sure there's a future career path for everyone listening? I would say don't become a man. It's true. It's absolutely true. I've seen so many women trying to act like a man in terms of their career, in terms of, okay, you know, no feelings, being very hard, um, acting, acting like a man. And what is beautiful about women is that we're women. So yes, we are motherly. Yes, we are creative. Yes, we are sensitive. Yes, you know, we put makeup on when we come to work. You know, we look girly. Don't forget that. Don't forget that part of you. Don't forget your femininity. Don't forget it's an asset. It's always an asset. But on the other hand, we're not men. So maybe our way of getting there would be slightly different, but that's okay. And for me, it's it's key to just be yourself and be yourself as a woman and don't try to kind of imitate, you know, men on how they get there. I don't think it's uh, it's the right path for us in essence, because we forget who we are. Have you ever encountered a specific situation where bringing your femininity into work really was an asset for you? It's always an asset. It's always an asset. And accounted clients in general, if they see a really nice woman who's bold, uh, they're always intrigued by that. Femininity in, in, in the way we do things sometimes, you know, the men have a, a certain mindset and sometimes we w- women, we tend to kind of ease off, you know, make it a little bit nicer, you know, try to kind of, we add our little touch, let's put it that way. We women, we're very talkative. So, you know, we engage with clients, we speak, we talk, we uh, we care. Again, you know, all these traits, as you said, that makes women, we can bring them at work without a problem. And I, sh- and I think and I insist we should do that more often instead of just behaving or thinking, oh, no, I shouldn't bring out because they will think that I am weak somehow. So what you're saying, what I hear you saying is bringing your full self, bringing who you are, whether that's male, female, whatever traits that you bring, bringing your full self is a source of strength. Absolutely. You know, as we, we talked about masks at the beginning, and if you bring a mask at work, 
of what you think people would like. I truly believe you you'll be depressed at the end because it's such hard work. To, it's harder actually to bring <laughs> your mask at work every day than it is to be your true self. You know, at the end, you don't know who you are. Can you look yourself in, in the mirror? So I've heard so many people say, oh, you know, he's not like that at home. <laughs> Comments like, he's not like that or she's not like that at home. So what are you? That would be my next question. And so many people also, we talk about imposter syndrome, sure. where they feel like I have to put on this mask. I have to project that I am confident, that I'm mm -hmm. strong, that I know mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. They put this mask on. And then at the end of the day, they feel on the inside, I know that I was faking it. Yes. And when those two are so disparate, so different from each other of the mask that you're pretending mm -hmm. <laughs> to put mm -hmm. on and who you really are, the worse that people tend to feel about themselves and the more stress and pressure and fear they have that they're going to be caught, that they're going to be that figured out. That we're going out, to see through them. That we're going to see through the mask, see the true self who it is. And that self maybe mm -hmm. isn't that great, mm -hmm. which is a fear, not a truth. Which is also a self-confidence issue and so on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I've seen it so many times because they're taught this is how we want them to be. My style is be who you are. And no matter what, you know, weaknesses, we will use everything that you have and it will be fine. But funny enough, you say that, you know, they're scared. And so the, a good leader or a good manager sees through them. And, you know, when you work with people eight hours, nine hours per day, that mask, they cannot keep it up the whole day. So you have a glimpse from time to time or who they are. So you see through. I do anyway. But, um, but then I, you know, then the conversation will be, you know, easy. And as a manager, if you do catch a glimpse. Yes. What do you do with that? Um... During my one-to-one, -one, I would bring it up and I'll say, look, I saw that. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Is that you? And then they would open up and say, yeah. Take an example. You have someone who is very, um, would work for you in a corporate world, but is actually an artist. He paints at home. And suddenly, you know, you will see a glimpse of that creativity and you will say something like, oh, okay, so how can we bring that creativity at work? Just take one value. Creativity is so, so um, not used at work. Because people think it's a weakness. So they will use it at home. They will paint. They will sing. They will write. But when it comes to work, it's not out there. And the conversation should be something like, how can we bring that creativity that is in you at work? And then have that conversation and see what happens. I love that idea. And and people might see more innovation sure. in the work if people are safe and comfortable to bring their whole self mm -hmm. to the job. It's making them aware that it's okay. Again, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay for anyone who's listening out there. It's okay. <laughs> so is there any question that I haven't asked you yet that you're just dying to answer or to share about how listeners can level up their leadership or a anything about you and your story and your career? I think one other thing, and I went through that, you would go through uh, an enormous amount of trainings. When you, you join a corporate to be a leader, to be a manager, that will give you the skills, that will give you a toolbox of things to do. Um, and also how to manage certain situations, uh, how to get the best out of your employees, what to do when, um, someone is confrontational, all that. These are the typical, typical, typical trainings that nowadays are being given to managers, but they will never teach you how to lead. And I think what is important in, in order to be a good leader, and it's again, only my view, 
it's to be your true self and to bring out the best of people without putting them into a stressful and just a result orientated situation. If you do that, you'll be surprised. That's it. <laughs> Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Asia, for joining You're welcome. us welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Level Up Your Leadership. If you're interested in learning more about today's guests and the topics we've discussed, check out the show notes on www.lisacristin.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes to subscribe. While you're there, it'd be great if you could rate and review the show. And if you really like the show, I would appreciate it if you shared the word on social media. As always, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.